Good morning and welcome here this Palm Sunday. I told a big fib to some of you before this service because I said there was something special waiting for you when you got inside here. And I was wrong. What's new about that? But I'm sorry because you missed a terrific kids show here for Palm Sunday in the first service. So uh, you got to learn to get up early in the morning if you want to succeed in, in enjoying everything there is to enjoy. Those little kids were great. Now, you're also going to miss a Palm Sunday message, because I don't have one. Uh, I've got a message on the sovereignty of God. And uh, I'm also going to do something different. I wanted to do something different and use that television over there like Pastor Alvin does. You know, he clicks and, and it, it shifts and, and does things. But David said, no, I couldn't do that. So it's just like home. My wife won't let me, my wife won't let me have the uh, remote at home either. You know, so, uh, so I, I wrote a couple of notes down. That's something different because I usually don't use notes. But there's a couple of questions here, actually three of them, that I want to ask you before I start. We're going to be talking from judges about the life of of some guy who was, uh, he was dedicated from, from conception to serving God. And you'll find out about him in a little later. But I want to ask you questions that uh, I want you to think about. So I wrote them down because my memory's not as good as it used to be. Uh, now, first of all, I want you to think about, is there some sin in your past or your present that would prevent God from using your life for His purposes. You think about that. Now, have you made choices, question number two, that would derail God's work in your life and His presence in your heart? And the third one, I didn't have room on the front for this one because I was just out of this little scrap of paper. But... Uh, do you lack that magic something? I know magic's a bad word to use in church, but I grew up reading fairy tales. My mom read them to me from uh, before I was born, she read to me. Uh, anyway, that magic something that would enable you to properly serve God. You know, like this Samson that we're going to talk about in a minute. He was dedicated by God for the, this, His purposes from conception. He had that magic something. But are you missing that? Is there something in your life that, uh, or, or something lacking in your life that would cause you to think that God couldn't use you properly and fully? Let's turn to the birth of Samson in chapter 13 of the book of Judges. And since we don't have the TV, you should have brought your Bible, and then you could read along. Because uh, you don't know whether I'm lying to you. If you don't have your Bible with you, you have no idea if I'm lying to you or not. You know? Uh, I love telling a good story. Not lies, but a good story. So I might be shading you a little too, for all you know. Okay, Samson. It says, first of all, in chapter 13 of the book of Judges, that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, 
So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. You guys have been bad guys, and uh, there's too many of you to take to the woodshed all at once. So I'm going to put, God says, I'm going to put the Philistines in charge of your country, your people, for 40 years, and that'll teach you a lesson. And I've wondered over time, uh, since I became a follower of Jesus, I've wondered, does God still do that with nations today? Does He occasionally use one to join, to, to judge another one that's gone astray? Does He do that? And I think the answer is yes, but that's just my opinion. You can think about it a bit yourself. Anyway, the Israelites were going to serve the Philistines in bondage for 40 years, according to God. And it says there was a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites. That was a tribe in Israel. He had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant. You'll have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor. He was going to have a full head of hair uncut, period. Uh, I wouldn't have made a Nazarite, I'll tell you. And... Uh, Anyway, because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So here we have somebody who is scheduled to be a hero, somebody who's going to be a deliverer, somebody who's going to be a judge in the nation, tell them what is right and what is wrong, lead them against their enemies, and, and, and give peace on the land, mediate their disputes, and on and on. We can, this is what he was set up from birth for. But uh, we're going to look ahead a little bit at Samson's life. Now, I don't, we're going to start in chapter 14. I don't know how old Samson was at this time. The Bible doesn't really tell us that. But uh, it says, Samson went to Timnah. That was a city in Philistia, the people that were ruling the land at the moment. And he saw there a young Philistine woman. Now, for you guys, that, that might mean something to you. Uh, I was young like Samson once, and, and I saw a pretty woman once, and, uh, and I'm still married to her many years later. Uh, it says, when he went back home, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, that was not just against his parents' wishes that he married this woman. It was also against God's wishes because God had said to the Israelite people, you are special. And you are not to marry people 
from the idol-worshiping tribes around you. Occasionally they did, if the person came and became part of the nation of Israel. It happened occasionally, but they had to become an Israelite and worship the true God of the Israelites, our God, not some idol. But Samson didn't seem to care much, uh, and so mom and dad got all this arranged, and they had a feast in chapter 14. In those days, they didn't just have a a one-night bash uh, after the ceremony. They went on for a week. And so they were eating together for a week, and and Samson had, uh, I've never done a wedding this big, but Samson had 30 groomsmen, 30 groomsmen, and they were all Philistines. His buddies were Philistines. Uh, They weren't Israelites. And anyway, during the feast, Samson made a bet with them. And and if you want to know what I think of gambling, uh, I've never bought a lottery ticket or anything like that. Uh, I consider it to be a waste of money. I, I played a little bit of poker when I first started working in the mines in Thompson when I was 18. But uh, after about two tries at a, a nickel limit, I realized that I, was, I couldn't stand losing five or six dollars in an evening. So what was the point of uh, continuing with that? So I never bothered after that. Anyway, Samson made a bet with his groomsmen here. He says, I'm going to get you to guess something. And if you don't guess, and there's 30 of them, remember, you've got to come up with each of you got to bring me a new outfit, brand new jacket, new tie, nice shirt, uh, very good pair of shoes. You have to wear good shoes. And anyhow, and, and if I lose, I'll give each of you, all 30 of you, a change of clothes, because he was pretty confident, I guess. All gamblers are. They think they're going to be big winners, right? But uh, anyway, Samson lost. And he was so mad about it all that uh, he went out in a huff. It says he went to the city of Ashkelon. He didn't have 30 changes of clothes, you know, 30 outfits for his buddies. So he went to the city of Ashkelon and he killed 30 people and took their clothes. Just imagine you're, you're... farmer number 30, and you're walking along. We don't know what these people were like. We don't know if Samson knew anything about them. You're walking along out to your fields with your hoe, and all of a sudden you come upon a pile of dead bodies, all stacked up, and they don't have anything on. And then there's a big pile of clothes, and there's some guy standing there, and you say, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, he whacks you over the head, and uh, now the pile has got 30 people on it, and he's walking away with a big bundle of clothes. That's how you pay off your debts, right? You kill somebody and take their stuff to satisfy your gambling debts. That's a, a, a wise thing to do. No, it's not. It's, it's crazy. Would you like this guy for a neighbor? You wouldn't dare say hello to him in the morning because, uh, you know, this hero of Israel is a vengeful, rage-filled psychopath. 
And anyway, it says later, and you know what he did after that? He went home to his mom and dad. He didn't even go back to his wife. He just handed these guys the clothes and left. Uh, You know, that's not a very bright way to treat a wife. I'm pretty sure of that. I've never treated my wife that way. Uh, And uh, I wouldn't be dangerous. Anyhow, later on it says, at the time of the wheat harvest, remember that wheat harvest thing, uh, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. We don't know how much later that was, but it was some time had passed by. And, and her father wouldn't let him in. He says, I thought you hated her, so I gave her to somebody else. And Samson was so mad, he says, I'm going to get even with the Philistines. I'm really going to harm them. And he took 300 foxes. I don't know how you managed to corral 300 foxes in, in a, in, at the same time, but he managed to get them together, and he tied their tails together in pairs, and he put a torch between each pair and lit them on fire and sent them out into the wheat harvest. You know, harvest, ripe, brown, gold. Dwayne, how would you like it if somebody started playing with fire in your crop just at the beginning of September. No, wouldn't go down so good, would it? Anyway, destroyed the Philistines' wheat harvest and their olive groves and their gardens, everything burnt. So they were mad and they came after him and he killed a whole bunch more of them. And then he went and sat in a cave sulking for a while, I suppose. And the Philistines came after him again. And the Bible says that... uh, Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, I don't know how you get a jawbone of a donkey laying around, but he found one. He says, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Oh, he looked at it and he said, with a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. What a poem, eh? Like I said, you wouldn't want this guy for a next door neighbor. When he finished speaking, He threw away the jawbone, and away he went. Now, in chapter 16, we find out that there has been no great change in Samson's life after all this. He's still got girl problems with Philistine girls, and he's still got violence problems with Philistines. Uh, He can't stay away from the Philistines for some reason. It says, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was, anybody know what her name was? Who said that? Say it louder. Delilah. Delilah. Yes, it was Delilah. You've all heard the uh, story in some form. When I was uh, uh, in my late teens, I suppose it was, there was a guy named Tom Jones from Wales who was singing a song about this, and he kind of kind of mixed up the story, but uh, the, the end result was the same. It was just crazy. Uh, anyway, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah, and the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strengths and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. 
Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Now that, the total of all these guys together came to about 28 pounds, which at uh, 12, 12 troy ounces to the pound of silver, at, at, on the open market for people like us, it's about 40 bucks an ounce right now. It's less than that if you're buying huge amounts and you're rich. But, uh, so it was about 15 grand worth of silver uh, in our money. Which I suppose if you're, uh, you're a Philistine girl sitting there uh, entertaining a gentleman is a lot of money. Anyhow, she found out hey, it's, it's all in the hair, you know. That's why I'm not strong anymore. I got no hair left or very little. And, uh, but he had lots. So when he fell asleep, she cut off his hair, took the razor to his head, and that's a cutthroat straight razor, not like... Not, it's not a safety razor or an electric shaver. Uh, she just peeled off the hair. And then it says that she called out to the Philistines. Samson, she said, the Philistines are here. He awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out just like all the other times and free myself. And here's the, one of the saddest notes in this whole passage. Here is a man who has been selected by God to be a hero. Here is a man who, uh, if he wanted to, he could take the jawbone of a donkey and, and kill a thousand people if he felt like it. Here is a man who is, he's God's man from, from conception. And it says, he did not know that the Lord had left him. That's how good his relationship with God was. It wasn't. He couldn't tell if God was with him or not. There was no difference in his life, in his thoughts, in his heart. He had no idea that God had deserted him. He thought, oh, hey, it's just going to be like always. Just let the good times roll here. And so the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. And the hair on his head began to grow again after he had been shaved. Now, remember that. It might have some bearing on this. I'm not sure. But but what a life, eh? What a life uh, dedicated to God, a life of revenge, a life of violence, a life of, of forbidden women, all kinds of things, and uh, a, a life of, of thoughtlessness, selfishness. Whatever he felt like doing, he did. Could God use a person like that? Well, let's keep going. It says, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. I mean, they're pretty happy. Their God has triumphed over the Israelites' God, our God. He's, they, they're celebrating. They're saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, and who? The one who has laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. 
And while they were in high spirits in this party, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. I don't know what he did. Maybe, maybe he played the kazoo. I can play the kazoo. Uh, or, but he did something for them anyway. Maybe he bent horseshoes or something like that, because his hair was growing a bit. So he wasn't up to a thousand men, but uh, I, can bra- still, I can bend a horseshoe for these folks. Anyway, they stood him up among the pillars of the temple, and Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. All. Get that. That's important. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Doesn't say that he prayed at all before this. He may have, but we have no record of it. He said, please, God, strengthen me just one more time. Let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Not a very holy thought, but he's asking. So Samson reached out toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. Down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. So how do you think things went for the Israelites after that? All of a sudden, the Philistines have no leadership left. I'd say that was the moment that the, that the Israelites became free. Because when countries have no leadership or poor leadership, they don't accomplish very much. We know that from, from our own country. We've had times in our country where things have gone really well and times when not kind of middling. Life is pretty good here no matter what. But uh, leadership is everything if you want to accomplish something, right? And the Philistines have none. So God did use Samson as he said he would. He judged Israel for 20 years. And he delivered them from the Philistines through Samson. But not with any cooperation at all from Samson, it seems. I mean, he was a, like I said, he was a vengeful maniac and uh, besotted with forbidden fruit. But God used him. Because God is sovereign. He will have his way in this world, even though sometimes it seems like it's not going God's way, he will have his way. He had his way here. He said he punished the Israelites with the Philistines ruling them for 40 years for something that they had done. He also delivered them from the Philistines through the very person that he had chosen to do so, even though that person didn't really cooperate much. 
Now, how about your life? Is there things in your past, decisions you have made, sins you have committed, that make you feel as if God could not use you? Has that ever happened to you? Do you feel unworthy because of stuff that you have, stuff from your past or stuff that from your present? Maybe you have or are struggling with something like drug addiction or alcoholism or adultery or I could go on and on and we don't have time to name every sin there is. Uh, there's much too many for that. But I think all of us, at times, struggle with things like that. I can remember when I was 19. I was not raised in a Christian home. We did not go to church. My, my father did read the Bible a lot, but only to find contradictions and proofs that there really is no God. It's just everybody's imagination. That's why he read it. And so I didn't read it at all, because if it's not true, uh, why would you bother? Anyway, at 19, I did something that didn't bother me much. Uh, didn't bother me at all, actually. I didn't even think about it. It was probably the worst thing, the worst sin I have ever committed. I can think of a few since then, because I have not lived a perfect life at any time. But I did something at that point that when I did become a follower of Jesus at the age of 25, I looked back on and thought, how can I fix that? Because I realized what, what, what a person I had been. And I quickly realized as I thought about it, hey, if I try to do anything, it's impossible to go back, right? You don't get a do-over in life. It's done. And if I tried to change it at this point, I would hurt far more people than I did originally. So I told God that uh, I'm going to follow you, but you have to take my life and make something out of it because uh, I can't make up for this. And for a while you walk around feeling a little unworthy, right? Maybe some of you have felt that way. You try to keep your head down. You're a follower of Jesus now. You're forgiven. You have a hope of heaven. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within your heart. But you're still feeling a little unworthy. So you, you keep your head down because God can't really use you. Uh, that's how you feel anyway. And I don't suppose Samson ever felt like that. It doesn't seem that uh, he had those kind of thoughts, but I did. And I was planning to be a farmer. You know, I had, I had the idea that the best place for a man like me was a two-cylinder John Deere tractor, uh, all alone in the field. And I didn't have to put up with people. I didn't have to feel ashamed or embarrassed or inadequate or anything. Uh, but I didn't end up being a farmer. I, it finally sold the land, and uh, uh, I became a preacher, which is, uh, to my family's way of thinking, the one I grew up in, not the one that I have now, but uh, 
was a foolish thing to do. Although they were kind of pleased that I could stand up in front of a crowd and speak without notes, but uh, other than that, they thought it was just dumb. And, and I wouldn't say that my life is the best example of service for God because it has not been a perfect life. Uh, sometimes I've approached being a preacher half-heartedly. Sometimes I wished I could have gotten out of it. Uh, there's all kinds of thoughts you have. But nonetheless, God, in spite of my sinfulness, my shame, my embarrassment, I'm, I'm so embarrassed over the, some of the things I did, I wouldn't tell you if my life depended on it. But God does have a purpose for our life. And it's not my life you need to look at. Look at Samson's. There is a life that was far more reckless than anything I lived, far more selfish, perhaps, although it's hard to gauge degrees of selfishness and recklessness and foolishness. But when I look at his life, it doesn't get much worse than that. And yet, God had his way in Samson's life, in spite of him, because God is sovereign. And God has a purpose for your life, too. Whether or not you have yet, perhaps you haven't even said yes to Jesus. Perhaps you're not a follower of His yet. But God has a purpose for you, and He will use you regardless of what has happened in your life. The thing is, you may as well cooperate because life in Christ, although not always easy as a follower of Jesus, it's satisfying and fulfilling. And we have the presence of the Lord amongst us and within us. Remember Samson? He didn't even know that God had departed from him. When I sin, believe me, I know it. I can feel the distinct lack of joy that is my normal portion. I'd like to leave you with a verse from Romans that talks a bit about, some of the, the, about the questions we asked here. And you may have things from the past or from the present that make you think that God could never use you, that God, you could never find that kind of fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. But I want to tell you that you are wrong when you think that. I'm going to read you one verse. There's lots more good stuff on both sides of this. This is from Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. He says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Give yourself to Christ, and all things suddenly start working for your good. doesn't say that all things are good. There are still some horrendous things can happen to us. We can have health problems. We can have accidents. We can be abused by other people. We can still make terrible decisions. 
and suffer for them. There's all kinds of things that can happen to us, but God does not waste our pain. He uses it to build our character, to change who we are from what we wear into who He wants us to become. All things work together for our good. And I mentioned to you earlier the sin that I had committed when I was young at 19 that I have no intention of telling you what it is. But I will say this. When I became a follower of Jesus and He gradually changed my life over time. Today, I was 19 then when it happened. I'm going to be 71 next month. And that, God has reworked in my life so that it is now my greatest earthly blessing. The only thing that surpasses us, surpasses it in my joy and and pleasure in life is knowing Jesus and knowing where I am going when I leave this life. That's it. God changes everything. And if you're sitting here feeling unworthy, God can do that for you too. Because all things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I'd like to pray for you for a minute before we go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the plans that you have for us, the things that you do in our lives, the changes that you make from turning us from what we wear into what we will be. Lord, we're so grateful. Today we worship you. We praise you, even on this day, this Palm Sunday, where so many years ago, Jerusalem crowned you king. We crown you king now, over again, in our lives today. Thank you for Jesus' sake. Fill us with with joy as we go from here. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.